Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode, I catch up with Nikki Fichet, the CEO and co-founder of Fifth Wall portfolio company, Homebound. After almost losing her home in Northern California's 2017 Tubbs fire, Nikki set out to reinvent the home building process with software, helping those displaced by disaster get back into homes faster. Nikki explains how Homebound's end-to-end platform works and her vision for the future of technology-enabled home building. Enjoy the episode. Nikki, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat. Where are you coming in from today? I'm in Big Sky, Montana for the month working remotely. Wow, nice. Um, Well, I'd love to hear just your perspective on what Homebound is, just explaining what Homebound is, but also how you ideated it and how you built it. Yeah, that sounds great. So in October of 2017, over 6,000 houses burned down across wine country in California. And in the aftermath, homeowners felt completely hopeless. Even with millions of dollars of insurance money in their pocket, the task of trying to navigate insurance and architects and designers and permitting and then finding a builder felt completely impossible. And if you went out and started talking to local builders and asking them, you know, would you build my house for me? You heard a consistent theme, which was, I've already got a wait list. It's gonna be three or four years before I can even get started. And I'm building at 600 to $1,000 a square foot, which is completely unaffordable for almost anyone. And so as we were watching this happen, my co-founder lost his home in Sonoma. I've got a home in Napa and watched the community around me completely burned down. And we came together and we said, there has to be a better way. And so we started calling contractors around the state and in other states and said, you know, hey, we've got some houses that we need to get rebuilt. Started with family and friends. My co-founder had plans for his house. So we sent them out to builders and we said, would you ever want to come help with this? And the response from every single person we talked to was absolutely, when can I start? And we realized that a lot of the things that make the process of building a home so painful Painful. The total lack of transparency, complete misunderstanding about costs, just information asymmetry throughout. There were all problems that were pretty well solved in other industries using off-the-shelf technology. It would be so helpful here. And so we founded Homebound thinking that there had to be a better way between creating a labor model that used a broader geographic network to bring labor in and build more efficiently, both starting faster and bringing better pricing to the region, and then technology that would make the process more transparent, more reliable, and enable communication about what was happening on a project that had never really been possible in custom home building before. And we knew that the output of those two things would be a customer experience that was completely transformed. And we talk a lot about our mission, which is we want to make it possible for anyone anywhere to build a custom home. And that's exactly what we're doing today. Interesting. And, and th- there's so much to unpack there, but kind of, I guess one thing that's going to be a bit more macro is, you know, the experience of having your home destroyed because of a natural disaster is obviously terrible. And it, it does seem to keep happening, right? I mean, we, we are talking today and Napa is on fire. Um, so clearly history is repeating itself. 
I guess as you thought about the business, how much was that a consideration? Meaning, it, it, I know there's a, a kind of dark lens to look at that through, but like it seems like more homes are getting destroyed in the U.S. Um, yeah. because of climate change. How did you view that? So to be totally honest, the step one of this was we got to rebuild our own community. This happened in our backyard. It was the single most destructive fire to ever happen in California. And we just needed to get friends and family back home. And we, as we started digging into it, we realized the problems that we're seeing, labor inefficiency, horrific customer experiences, total lack of technology, that's not just the market we're in. That's endemic to the entire market. And you start digging into it and, you know, Residential construction in the U.S. is close to a trillion-dollar market. If you look just at custom home building, it's over $100 billion a year of custom homes that are built, which is astronomical considering how hard it is to build a home. And so we, we really said, let's build this thing in our backyards because we need to for the community. And the company that we build on the back of it will then take to other markets around the country. We never expected in when we started this business in 2018 that we were going to have disasters of that size on a consistent basis. And so when the Woolsey fire happened or the Paradise fire happened in California, just one year later, both of those topped the Tubbs fire for residential damage, which is shocking. Um, and then you look at the damage that's happening from hurricanes, which is also increasing in frequency, in destructiveness to residential properties. And climate change is part of it, but there's a whole bunch of factors that are driving it. This unfortunately is a trend that's going to continue. Now, our vision for Homebound is much bigger. It's that we wanna make it possible for anyone to build a home, and we think the industry is fundamentally broken, which is frankly contributing to housing shortages in cities across the country. So we wanna be able to address that bigger problem, but the reality is we keep finding these communities that desperately need our help. We ended up going down to Malibu because we got eight individual emails from people in Malibu who had found us at that point, we'd done no PR, no marketing. Um, I'm not even sure how they found us, but they emailed and said, I'm not sure that I'm gonna get my house built ever if you don't come down and help me, please help. And at that point I had a three week old baby and looked at my team and we said, I think we gotta go. And so we drove down, we met with homeowners, we signed all of them up on the spot and now we're building in Malibu. And so that's sort of the story of, of how we've grown. Um, but as soon as you're in a market, people in that market start to see the way that you operate. And the idea of a tech platform where I can log in and see progress every day and what's happening in my project and a project manager who's gonna manage everything all in one place for me. And that's really appealing to people. So we've started expanding outside of those disaster communities and we're helping people build houses um, in all the regions that we're operating today. And when that happens to um, a family or to an individual, when, when their home is destroyed, um, obviously, it's probably many homes in their community have been destroyed, right? So there's this kind of moment of like almost community level tragedy. What does the individual want? So their home is gone. What do they want? Do they want the exact same home? Do they want to change it? Like, what is the typical demand for rebuilding? Yeah, so uh, this is kind of a funny answer to your question, but I would say the thing that I hear the most after our first meeting with customers is they come in they're, they feel really negative and like they never, they might never get home and they leave. And the single most uh, used phrase that I hear coming out of first meetings with us is you've given me hope. I now believe that I'm going to get home. And so to be honest, at, at that stage, people aren't thinking about like, 
oh, you know what I really want to do is I want to do this or I want to do that. What they're thinking about is I just want to be home. I want to have a home to host Thanksgiving. And so we start at that point with homeowners, but then once they have that hope, once they see that there's a light at the end of this tunnel and actually you're gonna get a home and it's gonna be better than what you had before, then they start getting excited about it. And so a lot of things that we see, we see a few different trends and it depends a lot on region, on stage of life, um, but we'll see a lot of people who built a home or bought a home when they had small kids and the home was perfect for a big family home, but then now they're empty nesters and they live in a 4,500 square foot home with a bedroom configuration that they really don't need anymore. And so we do a lot of, let's reconfigure the home for aging in place. Let's maybe make it one level. Let's focus on the types of rooms that you actually want to use and you don't need five bedrooms anymore. And so there's a lot of um, that sort of life stage. We also have seen a number of people who either bought their starter home and lost it or as time has passed and more of the lots that were burned down have transacted, we see a lot of first time home buyers who are saying, hey, I've, I've been in this community forever and I see this as my chance to really get my first home. So a lot of people thinking about either they have one kid and they might want more or they don't have any kids yet, but they're planning for the future. And so a lot of people dreaming about their lives. And that's one of the things that's so cool about being a custom home builder is part of our intake process is a lifestyle meeting where we just hear about what do you dream of doing in this house? And we hear about family Thanksgivings and how they want to have a kitchen that opens to the family room so that they can be cooking and talking to their relatives at the same time. Or, um, you know, we've got one customer who all he cared about was his garden. He wanted the whole house architected around looking at the garden because he was going to work on it all the time. That was his retirement project. And it's super fun to be able to take that vision and that life that someone wants and bring it to life and give them the keys to their next chapter, particularly after something so difficult has happened. And it must be so consultative, right, with them, because as you were saying, like you're, you're having these, these conversations in this awful moment for families. And I don't know enough about the, the insurance side of it, but I have to imagine that is also the last thing that yep. a family or an individual wants to be dealing with. You've just lost your house. There's this sentimentality to it. And now you're interacting with an insurance company. Yeah, and hopefully it's the only time in your life you ever do that so you know nothing about it and you don't even know how to read your own policy terms to know what you should get. So we have insurance experts on staff and we have digital insurance tools that help people understand their policies, what their policy max looks like, how they need to approach their insurance company, and then we'll take them through as part of our early process with them a rebuild strategy that says, here's what you should be able to get, here's all the documentation you need to make that happen for your insurance company, and then we can actually plan what it is that they're going to be able to build. Wow. And I, I promise I'll move off the, the natural disasters topic in a second. So I want to see where you're going from here. But as you, as you look at the U.S., let's say just for example, um, how many homes are, are destroyed every year? And what's like the value of that destruction? And, and I guess a related question is, how is that trending? And, and where do you see that going? Yeah. So um, if you look over the last decade at 
only measuring billion dollar plus disasters. So you say, we're not gonna even look at a place where only a few homes were destroyed. Um, for billion dollar plus disasters over the last decade, it is averaged between 100 and $300 billion annually of residential destruction from natural disasters. And it's hard to see trend lines on things because you get big spikes from individual events, um, but the trend line certainly looks like it is increasing. And for anybody living in disaster impacted communities, it certainly feels like it's increasing. Now the drivers of increase, you mentioned climate change, that's certainly a piece of it, although difficult to attribute exactly how much it is. But the other things that are happening are, number one, you have people building more densely pretty much everywhere in the US, but particularly in some of the most popular areas that the markets we're building in are incredible places to live, Napa, Sonoma, Malibu. Um, and so you get densification of those areas, which means if there's a fire, there's more damage. The property values are also going up. And so, you know, where a house there 20 years ago might have cost a few hundred thousand dollars, now you're talking about it might cost upwards of a million dollars. And so automatically the, the value of the destruction is increasing. Um, and then there's lots of controversy over the way that we manage, particularly fires and fire prevention. And so fire prevention is another thing that kind of helps determine whether or not you're gonna have really terrible fires. And California's been sort of back and forth on how much uh, prevention they actually do. Hurricanes are another thing that you can see sort of increasing frequency, increasing intensity, um, and then you have the same coastal problem where people are building more expensive homes and more densely um, all along the coast in the impacted regions. And are you seeing this reflected in insurance rates? Like I imagine it's just more costly to get insurance in Northern California or anywhere in California now or Southern Florida. Is that true? And how is what does that trend line look like? Are, are we looking at a world like 10 years out where you just can't get insured on buying homes in certain locations, do you think? That's a really good question. I don't have great data on it, so I'll tell you anecdotally. Um, we're seeing some increases in insurance rates, although there's quite a bit of regulation around what insurance companies are able to do. And so um, it, it feels like there's some some increase and in some places where you just simply can't get uh, typical insurance policies, although state or federal policies will generally be a backstop in those cases. Um, but I do expect that there's going to be some evolution of the way that insurance companies think about insuring properties in these places. Although it's really important that you don't just think about, it's not black and white, it's not should you insure it or should you not. It's There's a lot of uh, innovation that's happening around resiliency. When you look at many of the houses that have been burned down or you look at hurricane regions where there have been huge disasters that have really damaged structures. And you can go in and you can say, well, if you, this had been built to current code, then the damage might not have happened at all. And so one of the things that is a real silver lining of rebuilding these communities is we're rebuilding homes that are dramatically more resilient and more sustainable than what existed before. And so now switching gears to kind of the, the, the vision. So you're a home builder now. And um, obviously we work with a lot of home builders uh, in our investor base. And looking at the industry, it is not an industry that I would say is characterized by a lot of forward technology innovation. So you have this moment to reimagine that. And I guess at a very philosophical level, what should a home builder look like in the future? What, what is the future state of the home building industry in the US? Yeah, it's a great question. One, one piece of context I just want to offer, because you guys have amazing LPs and relationships with lots of home builders. And I, 
I want to sort of draw the context around what home builders in the U.S. look like. So on one end of the spectrum, um, which is where you have the most sophisticated and truthfully tech-enabled, although not tech-enabled by tech standards, uh, home builders are your big public home builders. And they are operationally excellent businesses that are really good at producing their product. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have over 300,000 licensed custom home builders in the U.S., and they look nothing like production home builders. Your typical custom home builder is somebody who likely inherited the business from their father. It's hyper, hyper local. They have one set of crews that they typically use for all of their trades. They might manage multi-million dollar homes on an Excel spreadsheet. They probably use some level of QuickBooks behind the scenes, but like that is it for technology. In terms of tracking schedules, a lot of it's done on paper, a lot of it's in people's head. And so that's the part of the industry that we're playing in. And so we'll look to some of the big production home builders for, you know, how do you think about as you scale getting real efficiencies around labor or materials purchasing? How do you think about team structure? And how do you think about central versus local? We look at them for a lot. Um, but when I think about technology, and one of the things that we have the incredible benefit of doing is building tech from scratch. So as we're building homes, we're building our technology and we're figuring out what's really important. We have three audiences with our technology. We have our customer and creating a customer experience that takes the incredible pain and complication of building a home and just simplifies it down to what are the things that you need to know? What are the tasks that you need to do? What's the timeline to keep your project on pace? And so massively simple customer interface that makes them feel like they understand their project and it's incredibly simple and it's easy and they know what's gonna happen. The second audience is our internal team. Our internal team either on the ground managing projects, our project managers overseeing things from offices, our regional managers who are trying to look at what's happening across a region without having to go to a project every day, and then all the way up to me. I like to open it every day and say what's happening on our projects, where are we ahead or behind, what are trends that you can see across projects, builders, communities that we're building. Um, and so, and then the, the third audience is our builder partners. So everybody who's working with us on site or architects, being able to see what's happening with their projects and being able to make sure that they're completing their work in time. And getting to build that from scratch means everything we're building is totally customized to those audiences and to the tasks that those people have to get done so that they can work natively in our platform and complete everything that they need to get done, which is the key to getting projects done on time and on budget. So that's how we think about it. And I think that your big question of like, what's the future of home building? Um, I talk about the future of home building as the future of homebound, which is one team on your side with technology behind every step of the process, making it possible for anyone anywhere to feel like they can build a home. And so for us, it really is the marriage of technology that powers everything and makes it simple and repeatable and predictable but it's also people. We have incredible project managers who, whether it's somebody who's just gone through a natural disaster or somebody who saved up their whole life to build their dream house and is really nervous and anxious and doesn't know how it's going to go. We have people who will sit with you and be on your side, no matter what happens and make sure that your house gets done. And, and so just in those two constituencies you mentioned, you know, your yeah. internal team and the customer, obviously, the customer is, is so incredibly important. I mean, there's almost nothing more intimate and emotionally charged than the home you live in, right? That is the, the such a 
an important product if you're to view it as a product in your life. And it's so customized and it's supposed to represent you and you endow it with so much emotion. In the building of it, in the creation of it, what's just interesting that you've learned? Just to unpack that when the, when the customer has decided, I want to build a home, these are the specs, I want it to be here, they have this grand vision. What's just interesting in exploring why they want it that way and how you can work with them? And I guess the related question to that is brand, right? Like you, you're building a brand, like products have brands. And in some ways it feels like your brand is experiential. And so how do you think about injecting that brand into the experience? Yeah, uh, so one of the things that I think is most interesting about building a brand and a really differentiated customer experience in this space is you gotta put it in the industry context. And the average NPS of your top five custom home build or production home builders, public home builders, the ones that really get to invest in customer experience, the average NPS is two. Now Tesla's NPS is 72. And so you just think about Tesla, Apple, Netflix, people who really led company innovation with customer experience, and they're in a completely different ballpark from the best of breed home builders. And so, and, and, uh, and, and by the way, the best of build, best, best of breed consumer products. And to, I, for people that aren't familiar with MPS, can you just explain what you mean by that? What does it mean? What's comparable to a two? Yeah, so NPS is net promoter score. It's a measure of customer happiness. And you start with a question, which is, would you recommend X to your friends and family? And it's it's something that there's a lot of data that you can benchmark across industries and across lots of big companies. Um, so it's an easy metric to look at for would somebody recommend this particular company or product? And so we think about it a lot because um, home building, particularly custom home building, is really a referral-based thing. And so when we finish building someone's house and along the way of building, we want them to recommend us to people. And so we ask people this constantly and we want to know why, what's working and what's not working. Um, and so that's something that we think a lot about. Um, and so the, the idea of creating this incredible customer experience is really exciting, but then when you put it in that context, some of it is... I think without technology, it's actually really hard to create an incredible customer experience because customers expect technology in everything that they interact with. And so they're going to be disappointed if you don't have it. But the other part of it is building homes is hard. And so when we're starting to interact with a customer, one of the most important things is helping set expectations because building a house isn't like buying a Tesla where you have this slick checkout flow and then your car's ready two weeks later and you pick it up and it's really easy. Building a house is hard. We're going to design something that is custom to you, which means you're going to get everything that you want, but it takes a long time to design. And then if you're trying to permit something in Malibu, you're going to have a whole process that's totally out of your control where you can't do anything until the government tells you that you can. And then you start building and you've got, you know, we have wildfires happening across California. There's 40 active burning fires. A whole bunch of those fires are currently evacuating homes that I'm in the middle of building. And so things like that happen. And we can't control it. And so one of the most important things for us to be doing is setting expectations with our homeowners. We do not tell them it's going to be easy. We tell them that it's going to be easier than it would be if they were building with anybody else. And we start at the beginning of every customer relationship by showing people a customer journey. And it is a data-based journey that we've put together from serving all of our customers plus 
hundreds of people across California who've built homes with other builders. And it's unbelievable how identical everyone's journey is. At the very beginning, people are super excited. Then there's this lull while you're getting construction documents ready and you're getting your permit. And then you pour a foundation and that's really exciting. And then framing goes up and framing is super fast. And it goes from there's nothing on the site to you can envision your house. And that is the highest point until you move in. And helping people understand that Framing is going to happen really fast, but then all of plumbing and electrical and everything that has to happen after that is going to feel so slow is really helpful. You tell them that at the beginning, and then when framing is complete and they're in this moment of pure joy, you remind them, hey, we're about to go into the lowest point of building a home, which is the next several months where it feels like nothing's happening. You're going to be able to see what's happening every day, but it's going to feel really slow. And so managing people's expectations has been a really critical part for us of helping people feel okay even when things are difficult or things are going wrong and how much of that you know you mentioned obviously a low nps score for for builders i'm curious how much of that you think is premised on just the absence of price transparency and, and i actually yeah. bring that up more from like personal experience yeah. um Whenever I've done work on a house or I've, I've contemplated building a home, the thing that confuses me, the thing that I feel like I can't price in because it's so customized is like, what's the price I'm paying and how much margin is this contractor, this subcontractor making on it? How do you just philosophically align the customers around, well, people do have to get paid to build a home, yeah. Um, yeah. but you're not getting gouged, right? There is a level yeah. of transparency here. How important is that? It's incredibly important. And I think one of the things that has been really special about building for um, the communities that we started in is uh, these people have a fixed budget. They have an insurance budget that they need to spend to get back home. And you want to do everything you can to help them. And so uh, we are not perfect at all on this, but it has created an urgency around the discipline of setting guardrails up front to say, here are the things you must have in the home, and here's the budget that we must hit. And if you can set those guardrails, then you can design everything else to make that happen. And one of the things that's really challenging about doing that anywhere else in the industry is, except for people who are building at the very high end and have access to really high-end design build firms, typically you've got this value chain of people who are totally disconnected. So you start with an architect, and architects are amazing at designing houses, but nine out of 10 architects will tell you that they are horrible at estimating the cost of houses. And it's true. That's not their expertise. And so they design the house for you. You fall in love with the house. You cannot wait to live in this house. And then you get structural engineering, civil engineering, everything else done, and you take it to a builder. And you've probably been designing for six months, maybe 12 months at this point. You may have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then you bid it out and your budget was a million dollars. And all the bids come back at two and a half. And now you have to start the entire process over again. And so the idea that you can, number one, have a completely integrated team that starts with what is your budget and our insurance team and our financing team help people understand actually what is their budget, which many people don't know at the beginning. What matters to you in your house? Would you rather invest in an incredible kitchen or great bathrooms? Do you want more square footage or do you want better finishes and less square footage? And so we do all of those kinds of trade-offs and then we set the guardrails and say, your budget is this, your lifestyle considerations and dreams for the house are this, and you set those guardrails with an architect to say, 
here's what we think is the initial estimate for the house. We do what we call a 30% estimate once we've got that done. And then you lock it in with the architect and you say, we're going to continually estimate this behind the scenes so that we don't go off course with budgeting. Um, and so that's, that's the way that we control it. Now today we have pieces of technology behind that. Um, our estimate is tied to the selections that someone's putting into a house so that it can automatically update if, you choose something really expensive that's outside of your budget, but we'll get better and better over time so that we can help constrain that. And if you come to us and you say, here's my budget and here's what I need, we can tell you immediately yes or no on if that's possible. And then as you're going through, you'll have way more control about the decisions that you make that change the price of your home. It's interesting because it's like a, it's a trend you see everywhere in the consumer space, which is customers know what they want from an end product, right? Especially for something like a house that has this, like I said, this very intimate, uh, very obvious emotional charge. So in framing it like that, do you want a bigger kitchen or do you want, you know, more investment in your bathrooms that like people do know what they want. They oftentimes just don't know the decisions they need to make. And I feel like there are these archaic processes, home building being one of them where, the consumer is forced to become an expert and make decisions around things that become completely divorced from what they actually want. And so they're not sure if what they're doing is aligned. And it's really interesting to see like how that's intersecting with, you know, the biggest purchase a consumer can make. Yeah, definitely. We unfortunately have developed an entire product line around taking plans that somebody developed with an architect and completely overhauling them to get to a price point that is half or less of what the price point of that originally designed home was because they, you know, they'll look at a plan and they'll say, I don't even care about this thing. And we're like, well, that is driving $100,000 of cost. And so we now have a whole value engineering product where we can take something that you can't afford and get it back to something that you can. It's not a super pleasant process, but it's something that people need. And it's interesting. I think a lot of this for us comes from if you're thinking about it from a technology and a software perspective, and you know that you want to be able to automatically generate estimates and you want your estimates to be tied to market prices for every single material that goes into the home, you just start thinking about it in terms of database structure. And okay, what are all the disparate pieces of data that I need and how often do I need to update them? And then how do those pieces of data get assembled to create an estimate for a home? And how do I tie the estimate for a home to the architectural plans? And if you're thinking about it in that way and thinking about the database that you need to create, the algorithm that you need to combine those pieces of data to come up with the estimate, that is that forces you to think about things totally differently than the industry's ever had to think about things before. And how much of the, the consultative work at the beginning when, when customers are interacting with Homebound, how much of that is around ultimately reselling the home? And the reason I ask the question is that a home is this, it's, it's kind of endowed with two things. One, this emotional charge that we've talked about and what you want, but it's also an investment. And it's, it's both things at the same time. And sometimes uh, I feel like what customers might want might not be totally aligned with cost and reselling the home at a profit. Like, you know, maybe you shouldn't install that gigantic glass cantilevered grand piano stand in the middle of your living room because no one else is going to want that. How much yeah. do you advise them on that next sale and the things yeah. and decisions they should make today? So we are completely centered around what a customer wants. So if a customer cares about resale, we have relationships with realtors in every market that we operate in and we've developed sort of a playbook of right now, what are the things that are most valuable for resale and should you invest in this or that? And so we can advise on that. I am super surprised at how few people actually care about that. So we have kind of two big 
two big groups of people who work with us. One is homeowners who are going to live in their home forever. And those people generally are like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I want it customized to exactly what I need. And I don't care if nobody likes it later. And there's a lot of those people. Uh, I personally can't build anything that I don't know. This is perfectly optimized for resale just because I like to build a lot of stuff. Um, but most people are not like me and sounds like probably not like you either. Uh, but we do have a community of people, both individual homeowners who say, I'm going to rebuild this thing because it is economically advantageous, but I'm going to flip it. I don't want to live in it anymore. I've already moved someplace else. There's a substantial portion of the community that ends up doing that. And so we'll work with realtor partners. We'll help them optimize exactly what they're trying to sell it for. And then increasingly we're getting inbound from either individual investors or developers who want to work with us because we have this tech platform that shows exactly what's happening and there's just a lot more predictability and transparency in how we operate. And so for those people, we're developing products, again, working with real estate agents, working with market data to look at comps and say, for this particular piece of property, given what you want to do for it, you want to flip it immediately, you want to turn it into an Airbnb property, or you want to rent it on a long-term basis, here's the optimal floor plan, configuration of bedrooms, whether or not you want to add an ADU, types of materials that you want to put into it. And so we're doing a lot of customization around those kinds of packages for those types of investors. So interesting. And I have to ask you because we're having this conversation, not just at a, a, a unique moment in terms of natural disasters in California, but also just it's 2020. And I think people are making some big existential decisions over where they live, where they want to live. Do they have to live proximate to where they work? Those are like assumptions that have grounded why we live where we do, why bedroom communities are where they are, why prices are what they are in certain communities. And those things are being challenged um, in ways that are hard to predict. And I'm curious from your vantage point, what are you seeing? What, what are the trends? What do you predict in terms of where people go? Do they do they move out of cities? Do they more move more into the suburbs? Do they stay in California? Do they leave California? What are some of those trends? Really good question, and I'm thinking about this constantly, both for Homebound and for myself. Um, I mean, the data says that people are leaving cities in droves, and they're, the first place that people go is suburbs and even further out suburbs from cities that they live in. That's sort of number one. And then two is there's definitely some flight out of places like California, I suspect, depending on what happens with the election and taxes, that's only likely to increase. Um, but from what we're seeing, like those are all the places that we're building. So, you know, we're building across the North Bay of San Francisco right now. We'll expand to the rest of the Bay Area and we're the perfect builder for people who are moving out of the city. So we're actually seeing some really strong trends there that are in our favor. Same thing with LA. We're not building in the city of LA, but we're building on the outskirts. Um, and that's a fantastic market for us to continue to play in. And then the other thing that we're seeing is a trend towards second homes. So as people feel uncomfortable about the idea of ever being able to vacation again, we're seeing massive demand for people wanting to have a second home so that they don't ever have to vacation someplace that doesn't they don't have control over again. And so that also plays to our strengths in places like Malibu and wine country. And we're thinking a lot about future expansion into other markets and how we think about places where, you know, if you were going to build a, a second home, you're in Park City, you live in LA, if you wanted to build a home there, you would need a builder that was totally tech enabled where you could see what was happening on your project every day. You'd want 
drone imagery of what was happening. You'd want to be able to select all of your finishes from a distance. And you'd want to know that you were working with somebody that was going to be able to make it happen without having to check on the project. We've done a number of second homes for people, including people who live in other countries. One of the first homes that we finished was from a, for a family that lived in Thailand. And after the fire, they thought we're never going to be able to rebuild. And then they found us. And we signed a contract with them in person. They went back to Thailand. We did everything else through either Zoom calls or through sending them virtual reality walkthroughs of the home to finish all of the selections. And they showed up the day that we handed them the keys to their finished home and they walked through and said, this is exactly what we wanted. And so I think the trend towards people being able to build stuff in different places and people being able to build stuff in a way that doesn't require face-to-face -face interaction if they're not comfortable with it is going to just absolutely be accelerated by what's happening in the world around us. And that's, that's what we're building. And so it's, it has basically pulled forward a lot of the consumer behavior that we needed to enable the innovations that we're driving anyway. And I imagine it's what your, your brand is positioned for as well, um, that kind of high trust experience. But I wanted to also ask you about like, how are consumer preferences changing? And, and, and I asked that because, you know, what the home means uh, is something different in 2020. You know, the, the, the home is no longer just your personal space. Um, it's also your office. It's also yeah. your gym. Uh, at least in 2020, it may also be your children's school. Um, and so what does that mean in just terms of like space design and, and, and what consumers seem to be caring about more? I know it's a small window because we're so early yeah. into this, but where do you think yeah. that goes? It's exactly all the things that you just talked about. So everybody needs a home office or two home offices. People want space where kids are going to be able to do schoolwork or full-time school. People want to be able to exercise on their property, but people also care a lot about outdoor space and wanting to be able to be in their own backyard because they may not be able to be in a public park. And so uh, it's, it's a combination of designing for the things that are happening today, but also designing for option value because I think everyone feels this tremendous sense of uncertainty right now. And so we are seeing more people thinking about, well, I think I'm going to be here, but in case I'm not here, maybe I should think about resale value, or could I rent this if I decided not to live in it? Um, and so there's a lot of people just trying to figure out what does the future hold and how do I design something for it um, that's a little bit different than I might have designed six months ago. Yeah, and that, and that value durability in terms of like, what does the world look like five years out, 10 years out? And I think the questions even I would be asking about what home I want to live in or what home I want to buy are just different. Um, I never expected to to be where I am. I never expected to be doing the things I'm doing all day, which is basically talking to a computer. Um, and it's the, it's like those behavioral changes are so hard to predict. Um, yeah. well, well, Nikki, this has been so interesting just to chat with you about your experience in, in building Homebound and um, I think what the future of home building might look like. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun chatting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.